Yo and hello. This is I Have a Podcast. I am Vinny Potestivo, and you are in for a treat because in today's episode, we are talking to Ananda Lewis, one of the first VJs I actually got a chance to work with in the late 90s, who really took me under her wing at a young age. I don't know if you know much about her, but you will by the end of this episode. And if her journey does not inspire you to get up and take action, then I do not know what will. Because Ananda Lewis came to this planet to impact people's lives, to change things and help people heal by increasing their personal power, by rejecting the lies we've been taught since birth about ourselves and about our own potential. So whether you recognize her from BET, MTV, TLC, or have already downloaded her app Elixir, which is an app she created to ensure the content she puts up stays up, I know her story will connect with you on a deeply profound and personal level. So let's dive into what we're going to hear in today's episode. First off, childhood trauma and the importance of meditation. We're also gonna talk about different ways to draw inspiration and expand your creativity by shifting your skills, tools, and attitude. And we're also gonna talk about the importance of timing as you begin to build your career one show, one network, one podcast at a time. And with that being said, well, let's start at the beginning. How did you end up landing at MTV then so early? How did that come to be? I was doing a live show on BET called Teen Summit, and I got that right out of college. And I think Rod must have seen me on there. <laughs> you know, they were looking for a new female VJ of color. That's what they wanted. They didn't know what they would get, but that was the goal. And someone who could do live because we were launching the Times Square Studios, or they were. I got the call. I didn't know what a reel was. They asked me to send a reel. And I was like, had to ask for the other people at Teen Summit. I was a producer on that show as well. So I had access to the edit bay and all that stuff. Um, I said, so what? what's a reel? Like, what are they looking for? What is that? She was like, you have to put together a bunch of examples of your work. And I was like, oh, okay. So I spent four days in the edit room just cutting up stuff. Literally, we would cut film back then. And then, you know, putting the betas in and winding them. So I did that whole process and then dumped it onto a VHS and sent it to New York. And they were like, yes, come audition. And I took the train to New York. I think I stayed with a friend who lived up there. And I auditioned. And before I made it back to DC on the train, they called saying, we're offering you this job. What are you going to do? And it was Rod. It was Rod who I was going back. And I think oh, I, I still have the notes from that conversation. It was wild. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I did not <laughs> expect to get this. I knew I was ready to move on from the job I had, even though I really loved doing Teen Summit. It was my favorite conscious job. It was a job that I always felt the most contribution through. And I didn't really want to leave, but it was time to leave. You know what I mean? Like when you know something in you is just like, I got to keep going. It was an interesting work environment. I was still struggling financially, but I was getting really popular and well-known in my own- From you know, Teen Summit. Community. Right. And that's like you're 21, 22 at that point? 22, probably, yeah. 22, okay. And I was young and restless, you know? I was like, ah, I don't know. And I'd never really watched MTV. I knew, obviously, what MTV was, this phenomenon. How could you not know? But I didn't actually have cable. So I would see MTV at, like, friends' houses or wherever else it would be on. So I wasn't really steeped in the whole MTV pandemonium. Like, I wasn't this massive MTV fan who was like, I have to be on MTV. Like, a lot of the wannabe VJ contestants were, right? We were like, right, this right. is my dream job. This is where I want to be. I didn't have that. But I was familiar with MTV. I've always loved 
love music. And I knew that it was the next step up from where I was. And I was all about going as far as I could. You know, I don't even know what that meant at the time because I hadn't been looking for a career in TV. It just kind of came and got me. But since I was in it, I wanted to take it as far as I could. We met November of 98. I was outside of Times Square and we actually met in Minskoff Alley. Minskoff Alley. Remember, like when we can shoot behind and Whitney was coming by to, I think it was the Prince of Egypt soundtrack oh. had gotten. And I got to ask a question. And I remember you said to me to look into the camera, say hi to Deb, which I later learned was Deb Sabo. And it was so cool to think of these people and tell her who you are and ask your question. And I never even thought that that was an audition. I didn't end up making it to air, but then the casting director said to me, you did great. You're from Staten Island. This is amazing. Do you know people? Because we're shooting a very Busta Christmas special tomorrow. And I was like, I actually know people who would love to be in that taping. Are you kidding? This might be a wonderful job for me. <laughs> I had no clue. All those 1,500 people at your school. 1,500 in my, in my grade. But it's interesting how I didn't have cable growing up. I had to go to a friend's house. To it. And I, I was aware of the music videos, but I really wanted to be a Broadway producer. I thought that was my track. So for the first half of my career at MTV, I would never tell people that I work in cable television. No, 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 no. I work on Broadway. 1515 Broadway. 1515 Broadway. That's the Broadway that I work on. What Broadway do you work on? So I got to MTV without knowing much about it. And there's this notion of needing to be super prepared and needing to know somebody to get into the industry and mm. needing to know all of the answers before you possibly could get hired. I didn't know anyone in the industry. I didn't have any answers. No, me and, either. Right? Like there we were. I was haphazard through the entire process of my whole career. Literally had no idea what I was doing most of the time. Was it gut instinct? Was it strategy? I think for me, the, the thing that's always allowed me to win and kind of be good at what I do or great at what I do is just my ability to be comfortable with myself because I always feel like there's nothing that can come up that I can't handle. And I don't know how I'm going to handle it, but I don't need to know. I just need to know I can handle it. I just need to have full confidence in my own ability. And I had a speech impediment until I was eight. From about five to eight years old, I was three times a week going to a speech therapist and working on training my tongue to stay behind my teeth. I had a lisp. So I would always like, my tongue was really lazy and too big for my head apparently. And it would just like hang there. And I talk like this all the time. And I still do that when I'm rushing or nervous, I'll stumble over my tongue. And it's like a quick reminder, like get your tongue behind your teeth. And I'll remember some of the exercises and blah, blah, blah. So I think Getting over that speech impediment gave me the confidence in my ability to speak that allowed me to then never shut up. <laughs> and I think because I felt empowered by my ability to change that condition of my speech, right? Like as this little girl, knowing that I did the work and it paid off and whatever I apply myself to like that, I'm going to have success. Like that was the win for me. That was what I took away from it. And then I could speak. And I literally asked my sister, I never shut up. And I would go like <laughs> in her ear because I couldn't say S's. And all of a sudden when I could say S's, I was like, I wouldn't stop. And I don't know. I think when I look back on my career, I really feel like just the ability to stand in a moment, speak to whoever and have confidence 
in the fact that my brain was going to pull me through and my ability to speak was going to pull me through. And whatever came my way, that's how I dealt with it. I don't care who sits down in front of me. I know I can talk to them. I know they're a human being. I know I can ask a question. You know what I mean? Because again, you know, we're all different. That was the easiest part for me. But I think that's because that's actually my personality. I'm super chill about most things. I can get buck wild when I need to, but I'm super chill most of the time. Like there's nothing that's going to come up that's going to throw me. I'm going to just handle everything. Growing up, I had a really hard time communicating my emotions. I personally grew up in and out of Al-Anon and Alateen due to my parents' recovery and relationships with drug and alcohol, constantly in and out of therapy my entire life. It wasn't until college that I learned the importance of meditation. Although I was so bad at it, I would just kind of fall asleep, which does turn out to be a form of meditation, I guess. See, I give myself a lot of grace and a ton of space to acknowledge the journey it took for me to get to where I am today. But I think that's also from like a tumultuous childhood, teenage kind of adolescent. A lot of stuff happened and I had to protect myself and to recover quickly from things and keep it moving. So I think I learned this kind of stillness, this internal stillness. And I have two parents that are transcendental meditators. They have been my whole life, even though they didn't stay together long after I was born. They divorced when I was like two. I still had the influence genetically and experientially of both of them. And they were both really calm people. Like my mom had her spikes, but she was generally calm. And I saw her meditating a lot. So I feel like I have always had this ability to go within, close my eyes, chill out and come back to it ready. But I don't know where else it comes from. And I think that's one of the interesting things about what's happening modern day. I mean, you know, we did this at a time where there were maybe six networks that anybody wanted to be on, right? That There was a very narrow window of where you could go to do the kind of work that you do as a creator. And even though I was technically a VJ for MTV, I was creating what I did on air for them, right? I was a creator even then without knowing it, without calling it that, that was the work. And that's what we were all doing without realizing it. Because, you know, you could try to script me if you want, but it ain't gonna last for long. (laughs) Like I wasn't someone who read scripts. I wasn't someone who was gonna stick to what you told me to do if you laid out too many details. Like give me the video we're going to next. (laughs) Tell me who the guest is. I'll have done the work that, you know, we were given homework. If we knew a guest was coming, sometimes people were popping up. We didn't know. But whatever little bits of information, just feed me those and I'm gonna turn it into a script in my brain and I'm going to just speak it like it's a script. And I think that's a skill. Now, I didn't recognize it as that then, but I look at it as a skill now because I thought everybody could do that. I really did. I was like, oh yeah, this is what everybody does, but it isn't what everybody does. And I didn't really understand that. But when you have an idea that comes from the gut, the heart, or the brain, what is your approach? How do you start piecing it together? When does a good idea get elevated to a project? What are the ways that you've helped figure out and manage your developing process when you're creating media and content? One of the things I have enjoyed doing the most just on IG, and now it's also on my app, is Closet Raid. And that's a show where I go through my closet, try on different things. I've done it by categories. And then my viewers will vote on what gets kicked out of my closet. And then I got to get rid of it, whether I like it or not. <laughs> you know. And that evolved. It started with me literally going in my closet, which was a complete mess. And I was looking for something to wear to go to this whatever thing. I was trying to find an outfit 
for something. I had talked about an outfit to a friend and I was like, oh, let me find that outfit. And I went in my closet to find this outfit. And there was so much in my closet that I almost burst into tears after about 20 minutes of digging through piles of clothes and finding five black jumpsuits and 10 pairs of the same jeans. I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, I know I come from pack rats, but I hadn't realized that I had become a pack rat, right? No, not me. This will never happen to me. No, (laughs) Listen, I have clothes still from MTV. There's too much stuff in there. So normally I would call Lisa Sellers, who was one of my stylists back then, like my favorite. I would call her and she would come over and help me go through my clothes. That hadn't happened in a while. Or my goddaughters would come over. We would go through my clothes and they would like take all the stuff they wanted that I needed to get rid of, right? That was my normal thing. But this was during the pandemic and we'd been in it for months and and there was no help coming because we couldn't really do that. My dad's 80. I'm not really having people in my house even now. So I was like, what am I going to do? I can't live like this. And literally the idea, like most ideas just kind of hit you sometimes. I was like, well, let me let other people go through my closet with me. I got all these people that watch stuff. Let me let them do it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it right now. It literally, the idea was just in my head. I was like, let me go set my phone up. Let me go put my lights up and go, hey, listen, this is what I normally do. I can't do that anymore. Will you guys help me and look at these freaking clothes that I need to get rid of? Because I am a freaking pat rat and I have a problem. I need your help. And you really needed that audience, right? You really needed them. Those are the best ideas where you're solving a problem and you need help. You need people to help you. Because let me tell you what. This world can seem very screwed up and messy and there can be a lot of problems. But what I fundamentally know to be true about human beings is that we're good. Human beings are good. We get corrupted. Yeah, there's some screwed up human beings out there. But the majority of human beings are good people and we want to help each other. Whenever you see somebody in need of help, you'll also see somebody stepping up to give them the help they need. And that is a fundamental, hardwired way of human beings. And so when you can tap into that, you really can find yourself with a fun project and a project that gets supported. I couldn't believe the votes that came in on, like, I think I've done seven or eight, maybe I'm on number seven Closet Rate episodes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, y'all really care about this. Y'all really want to see me get rid of some stuff. Thank you. Well, you'd let them have that opportunity too. So they're probably equally just as thankful for getting to be a part you know, of the story. People want to feel empowered and people want to be involved. People want to help. People want to feel like they have some control. People want to talk mess. I mean, that's why gossip shows are so important. People have an inclination to talk about other people and give their opinions. Well, when you can get that opinion to be not about tearing people down, but about helping someone out or about, you know, talking about clothes instead of people's lives, then it becomes less damaging and much more helpful. And so I don't stumble on stuff like that a lot. So let me ask, what do you do when you're looking for inspiration? Do you hop on your phone for answers? It's not such a bad thing, I guess. It's easy to get buried reading everyone else's blogs and social posts. I know it can be time consuming, but not so bad if you schedule accordingly. Or do you feel like everything that can be said about your industry already has been said? Like, and if that's the case, you're not alone, but you're also not correct, right? Because finding new angles on topics that may have already been covered is possible when you alter your perspective, when you focus on the facts, when you use new tools and let your purpose guide the narrative. There are lots of ways to find motivation, but at the end of the day, until you're happy and you have peace with your purpose, you may struggle to find constant motivation unless you put a strategy in place. I have a bunch of projects right now. I'll say a bunch, five that are really for other people. 
So I think it's turned into something that I can also do and not have myself involved in it, which I really like. But I think organically, like just originally, you really do start with yourself because you're what you have. You don't even know if you can get other people, right? Who knows what that process is like? And especially during the pandemic when we were really on the lockdown, which thank goodness we're coming out of now. It really does start with you at the core of it. For me, it started with me at the core of it. Like, what can I use? I'm not super, super religious, but I love the Bible and I think there are a lot of great stories in it. And one of them is the widow's oil or something where she was broke and her husband had died and she had all these kids to take care of and she was a widow. And at that time, a woman with all these kids and no husband, oh, that was just frowned upon. And so she knew she wasn't gonna be able to like get another husband and depend on some man to take care of her. And she was like, what do I do? What do I have? And what she had was her oil. She had to go within and think about it and figure it out and then use what she had. And for me, I always come back to that when I'm struggling for either ideas or solutions to problems. It's like, what do I have in me? What can I do without anybody else adding to it yet? It's just going to start with me. So for other creators out there, the question always becomes like, what do you have? What are you interested in? What do you literally physically have in your space? You know, what I had was clothes <laughs> and too many of them. So I was like, <laughs> what do I have? I got a closet full of shit that I need to get rid of. And a closet of like, memories, a closet of stories. closet of everything, right. And then the next thing I have is 15 trunks of all the VHS tapes of almost every show I was ever on, whether I got them from the actual show, like MTV used to give me copies so I could review stuff. Or my mom, you know, would sit at home and record everything that was coming on with me on and on TV. I mean, literally trunks full of tapes. And what I'm going to do with those is go back and get around the copyright infringement using fair use because you can critique, you can use as historical fact, which now we 20 something years from it is history, right? I'm going to go critique myself as a host with the shows that I did. Because I never got to see a lot of that stuff. Even the stuff we taped, I didn't go home and watch it. I went home and put yeah. it in a trunk because I had to get right back up the next day and come do it again. I got no time to go home and watch myself. I'm about to do more. And a lot of the stuff was live. So I got you know tapes of the live because I never would have seen it otherwise, but I've never looked at the stuff. Just like all that fan mail I'm opening that I never looked at, I never opened it. 20 years yeah. later, now I get to open it on, on fan mail flashback. That's also on my app. So it's things like that. It's like, what do I have? What can I use? And when all creators start there, that's why we get such beautiful diversity because your ideas are as unique as you. And when you start them with you as the fundamental central focal point, it's going to be unique. You don't have to worry about what else someone else is doing because you're going to do you. And that is unique without trying. How do you deal with failure in this industry? How do you deal with the letdown piece? You know, my childhood and adolescence prepared me for whatever other letdowns were coming yeah. from. So, and is that um, the same for, for successes as well, would you say? It's harder for me to identify success. I'm a hard person to impress for myself. And I honestly didn't look at any of the stuff that I did at the time as successful until the last maybe five or six years where other people were telling me what it meant to them. I just felt like I was working. It wasn't even about success or failure. I'm like, well, it's my job. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the best I can. I never looked at it in a larger scheme of things than that. I was always very focused on, okay, what am I doing right here? That usually comes from someone else's perspective, from the outside looking in, judging it or deciding what it is. But when you're in it, you're just doing it. 
That's true for me anyhow. When you're in it, I'm just one foot in front of the other. Let's make it happen. Like when the talk show didn't go for longer. I mean, we made it through the first year through 9-11. I felt like that was a blessing because I didn't think we were going to get anything else on the air after 9-11. And that was the second day we aired. So I felt like that was like, oh, wow, this show ended and blah, blah, blah. But I also felt like I was very much a part of that. I was miserable doing that show. And so I was willing it with my actions and everything. I was willing it to end. I did not want to do that anymore. And I knew I was stuck in a contract if it didn't end on its own. I think for me, the things have always kind of gone down the way that I wanted them to. The one thing I think I would have done differently is I wouldn't have left MTV so soon. I probably should have stayed at MTV for another year or two. I was way too young to be doing a talk show. I had no idea about anything that had to do with that world. I did not realize. Yeah, how did that come up? It happened so fast. It happened so fast. I was like, Ananda, but she gives such good Christmas presents. Why is she leaving? (laughs) You still have your shirt. You the best. I have Um, my shirt. (laughs) Um... I I don't even remember. It was such a tumultuous time in my life at that moment. By that moment, I mean like that six-month window. We had done SoCal Summer, but the deal for the talk show came like right around that time. I remember I met with them in California. I was supposed to do the show in California. And at the last minute, it got changed back to New York. My whole point was wanting to come home. Like my grandma was getting older. I had my godkids there. I wanted to be back in California. And they told me I was going to be back in California. And then at the last minute, they were like, nope. We're going to be in New York. And I was like, yo, the whole point, if I was going to stay in New York, I would have stayed at MTV. Like, I want to move to California. So it just like from early on was not what I thought I was agreeing to and not what I expected. And so I started out when we started actually shooting, I started out disappointed which sucks, right? Like I'm supposed to have this excitement. It's the Ananda Lewis show. Are you kidding? Like you're compared to Oprah. I couldn't even get the music for the show. It had my name on it, but I couldn't even hire my makeup artist that I wanted. It had my name on it, but they wouldn't bring my stylist in. There were so many ways in the beginning that I started feeling like I was being trapped. They just wanted to use me as talent, but it didn't really matter what I wanted, even though my name was on the show. And I got very disenchanted very early. And that's a horrible way for me to start because, you know, I get that that people have this idea about, oh, talent and people should be so grateful just to have jobs and what a great opportunity you have. But I never really looked at it like that. I'm always like, listen, I'm a human being. Mm -hmm. I am a, a person who knows what they want. I'm a person who speaks their mind and I'm not a person who does well getting deceived ever, like in my regular life. Right. And so that who I am is consistent. I'm not changing because I'm on TV. I'm not changing because you're giving me a deal. You're still dealing with the same person. And so I had to deal with a lot of challenges that as an individual would send me through the roof. Right. But I had to deal with them in the context of you have to act nice and be cool because you're talent. And I didn't have someone to play the bad cop. So I was playing good cop and bad cop most of the time. And I see why yeah. that doesn't work. I see why you yeah. have, you know, management that will come fight for you or agents that will come step in for you. Because when you play good and bad cop, you can't be talent that's neutral anymore. The ship has sailed. When you cuss out your EPs and you're cussing out, you know, your your network owner yourself, <laughs> now you're the bad guy, <laughs> you know, like now you're difficult. But I had to do the job of a lot of different people because I didn't have those people doing those jobs. So 
it just, it was such a learning experience and in, in a not so great way. But you had access to people. I'm sure people wanted to be your manager or- I did. And I was probably a difficult person to manage because I don't like people speaking for me. I'm so good at speaking for myself and so specific about how I want things done that I ran into issues with the different people I tried to have manage me where I was like, no, nah, this is too frustrating. And they were probably doing a wonderful job. But for me, if you represent me even a little bit off of what I actually am, I'm going to take that and be like, nah, this can't work. It's not personal. It's just that I know what I want to say to people. So if you're negotiating deals and you're not saying things the way I want them said, that's why I don't think like I'm really the right kind of personality for the industry, the way it was back then. And I did a great job just doing my job, but behind the scenes, I'm sure there are people you could find that would be like, oh, she was a complete freaking nightmare. Like she was a total bitch. I'm sure there are people who would say that, even though they're saying it because they were in a position of somebody that I felt like I had to fight for what I needed to have happen. So yeah, you're going to not have a great experience with me because now we're battling. I double dog dare any of those people who would use those words, especially in 2021, yeah. to come and talk to us about any disparaging comments. I have to say, I remember feeling, and again, I admit to not knowing anything, but thinking I knew everything right, also. Right, right. We all. We I remember all. thinking, oh no, Ananda, she left too soon. It yeah. didn't feel, didn't feel it happened so quick. I look back and I wish I had done it differently because there were people I needed to have closure with and to thank and to yeah. you know, really really leave in the right way. And I wasn't thinking about that. I was blinders on this is the next thing. Let me focus, you know, and that I'm learning a lot um, from being like that. Like, and, and I'm changing a lot in that way because that isn't how I wanted to leave. Right. And it was such a profound and important and pivotal experience in my life, just being at MTV with all the amazing people that, you know, you know, cause we worked with them, yeah. including you, like all the amazing people I got to work with that I felt like I just like was, I was out, like I just left and it was not intentional, but it was an oversight on my part because of just narrow thinking, you know, short sightedness. So I don't know, you live and learn, you look back and you, you, you know, not really regret, but just hindsight's 2020 and you go, okay, if I find myself in that circumstance again, I'm going to do it differently. And I did from that point on, like I did it differently. I want to get an understanding of what the app is about oh, yeah, or sure. when is that something? So did you create a platform, a hub, a gift box of your memories? Vinny, that is literally one of the best explanations of what it is. So it started as me wanting to have a way to share difficult stuff. You know, I got diagnosed with breast cancer in January of 2019, and then I didn't talk about it until probably October of of 2020, so almost a year and a half later. And when I started talking about it, people had a lot of questions, obviously. And I had learned a lot and experienced a lot on my healing path, mainly alternative healing. And I wanted to share that, but I know that a lot of times when you put things like that out in the in the mainstream marketplace of social media, you get your videos removed, you get silenced because they don't really want you talking about that. It seems like I don't know why. It's not the sexy content. Yeah, it's or, not what people you know, really the ads want to be on. You're not twerking yeah. like we want to see that so I just wanted to create a, a safe space for myself to share the content that I wanted to share and that's really how it started and then I was like well that's only like two things on there so what else can I put again what do I have well I have the years that I was followed around by a private photographer who I paid that I own the footage of like I have that let me put that on there I have all these great pictures of people that are mine that no one's ever seen I have these shows that I've been doing on Instagram that I can now put on my own platform I have 
all the tapes that I've saved for 20 years of all my work that I can do something with. So I started really realizing that I had a lot of stuff. And to be able to build out my own platform became the goal so that I could eventually expand that to include other people's stuff because I control it. Nobody can pull anything off my app. I'm the one that puts it on there and I'm the one that takes it off. And I, as a control freak, (laughs) not really having the kind of experience where I ever got to control exactly what I did on TV, I, I was blessed to have like great, great shows to be a part of, but none of them were mine. You know, the last time I got to produce was Teen Summit. So I wanted to be able to steer the ship a little more and and be the captain of it in a really real way. And for me, that was having my own app and being able to dictate what happens. Now I have a workout club in there and now I have you yes. know, the vault, which is all these great photos. I have fan mail flashback, which is all the old mail from MTV. I have still the health journey stuff, which is the only thing that costs anything if you do that subscription. Otherwise, the whole app is free. Everything is just there, you know. Um, And I'm really enjoying having this direct connection to my base. And I really think that's important going forward. Now, I'm still active on social media, obviously, but I use social media more for my commercial and ad space for my own stuff now. And it's really opened up my eyes to a lot of what I was missing. I didn't look at the business part of this whole industry when I was in it. And there were a lot of reasons for that. I mean, back then it wasn't as easy to look at the business part. You were either in the business part or you weren't. You weren't really let into that as talent. Well, like networks own shows. People didn't own shows. Like that wasn't something. You can't put out your own line of lip gloss. You need to own a cosmetic company. Like things are really so much easier now. And I'm just really grateful that there's still so much love that I built from back then, all those fans and all those viewers still know me. They still like support me. And I'm super grateful for that because that's rare in this business to like have a career that lasted that long to begin with, but to then go away for like 10 years and then come back and still be able to get work and still be able to have people watch you and to still have that is I'm super grateful for. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's that, that Gen X fan base, man. Yeah. That's a good, a good fan core. base to have <laughs> a little, and that millennial, a little tint of millennial, yeah, a lot of Gen X. A what a bit, nice. But we were part of so many people's like lives yeah. in their most like pivotal, fundamental, their adolescence, yeah. you know? The TV is in the living room, but the volume hit every single room of the house. That's right. So you, we, right, we didn't even there. have to watch it to be a part of it. That's right. And it's interesting to hear about your your reaction to getting feedback as you're on air, because it makes me realize that before Instagram and social media, we wanted you to watch it, to be honest. That yeah. was the metric. Like was never a metric. Didn't matter. Comments were nice. Mm, yeah. But the only people who commented on TV were the people who were angry and they would go and verify, right. double confirm. I can't believe and, you guys said this. You, Why did you put these people? How could, you, how could you not put this video on, on All Things Rock? What's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> and then now what I'm learning as well as I'm opening this fan mail is that I had a lot of like scary stalker kind of fans and oh. also a lot of love, but like a lot of stuff that maybe was the reason they kept the fan mail for me. I don't know. But, but that is also... <laughs> what people were apparently doing back then when they commented, they were like, yeah, I'm going to come find you. We're going to live together. You're my wife. Like, uh, 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 okay. But yeah, I think, you know, just the way of the future, what I'm seeing, especially with the lockdown and you're illustrating it perfectly with this podcast and congratulations on, on launching because this is really what it is becoming. Right. And this is where MTV was brilliant and way ahead of its time with the reality shows and, and all the, that kind of programming that's now literally everybody has 
a camera on their phone and literally everybody can record their lives. And that's what social media is doing. And so to find a way to get your niche in this world is exactly what creators need to be doing. You're doing exactly the right thing. This is what's going to carry us for the next 10, 15, 20 years. I'm excited to start letting this podcast air, but it's been a lot of work. That's the other thing you learn. You're like, oh, this is why you have producers and writers and cameramen and lighting people. Like when you're doing all- And therapists. And therapists. <laughs> Honey, it's so much. So doing Elixir, that's the name of my app, Elixir, A-L-I-X-I-R. Doing Elixir taught me all that too, because like I said, I'm not very tech savvy or, or haven't been, but I had to crash course, learn this stuff. And what it taught me is that I'm still teachable. Like I can still learn stuff, you know, just because it's something you don't know doesn't mean it's something you can't learn. And now with like Fiverr and all these different places, you can hire someone to do it if you can't do it. And it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg. So the world has just opened up so much wider for creators and content. And we're in such a beautiful time of it right now. I'm just really happy to have discovered the things that I have and to have the history with people, you know, that, that they're actually looking yeah. for me. And when they find me, they're like, oh, my God, I love you. I'm like, thank you. There you are. You've, you've been. I've missed you. I used to watch you every day. Like the comments are so amazing and beautiful. And like, wow. But I, I mean, looking back, yeah, you did watch me every day. I was on MTV like five times a day. I love you for making time and being part of this. And thank you so much for- Proud of you. Good job, man. You're the best. And thank you so much. You've been listening to I Have a Podcast with Vinnie Podestivo. If you'd like what you heard and you want to hear more, please find us at IHaveAPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next week.